sorry for the delay there. It takes a while to get my hair right. It's hard to make it look this good. No comments. No comments, all right. I've just gotten comfortable with being the bald guy, all right? Although it was funny, yesterday I stopped to get coffee um, at this place and I had a, a funeral to go to in the morning and a wedding to do in the afternoon. So I was in my black suit and I had my aviator sunglasses on and I pulled up at the window and the lady looked at me and she goes, you look like James Bond. And I said, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I will be coming back to this McDonald's for the rest of my life. <laughs> So if you ever randomly just see me driving around town in a suit going to McDonald's, it's because the ego is low and I need a little boost. <laughs> I told my brother that story last night. He's like, whatever, come on. And I told him, I said, you know, look, I lost a lot of weight. I shaved the head. Don't be mad that I'm the hot one again, okay? And then he hung up. So we are wrapping up our series called I Am. Today is our, our final day in it. Uh, we've been going through the book of John. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the seven statements that Jesus makes where he leads with the statement, I am. And then after that, he gives this beautiful kind of descriptive analogy of who he is, what he's doing in that moment, and what he's doing in our lives. And so as we've been going through this, we've broken down a couple key things that we've called the key to the series. The first is, there's power just in those first two words, I am. Back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses is commissioned by God to go save the Israelites, he asks God, who, who should I say sent me? And God says to him, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so we've talked about this, but I hope this is something that as we, we conclude this series, you're really cementing and taking with you. What was so different about Yahweh God in comparison to the theoretical gods of other communities and other cultures was their gods were limited. So if you study Greek mythology or Roman mythology or any pagan cult, long before Christianity, most of these religions were polytheistic and their gods were limited. There was the God of war, the God of love, the God of wisdom, the God of knowledge. Right? You had gods of very specific small things. And so as a person, you had to keep going to numerous different gods, depending on the problem you were facing. And you had to try to appease them all. But what you really learn about these gods as you read about them, they're not really perfect. In fact, they're just kind of like super powerful people. But they have their strengths and their weaknesses and their limits and their bounds and they can be manipulated and used and anything that can happen to a person except they have more power. What God said to his people, I am who I am. Amen. The point being, you cannot box me in. Amen. You cannot put me into some small little container and say this is what God is. I am whatever I choose to be. And at some moments I will be vengeful. At some moments I will be loving. At some moments, I will shatter mountains, and at other moments, I will come to you in a whisper. Amen. And so the beauty of our God is He is a God of such dynamic power. You can't box Him in. Amen. It's why as Christians, a lot of times when you go to the Bible, have you ever come to these moments where you're like, man, that's just so hard to comprehend. A lot of us, we look at those and go, ah, it makes me doubt. 
Me, I'm like, I love those moments. Because if my God is bigger than me, if my God is bigger than creation, if my God is not only the God who created the universe, but created time, created space, should my little brain be able to compliment everything that He is? Absolutely not. And so, in Scripture, God continually has declared that He is a dynamic, all-powerful, awe-inspiring God. And in those that name, Yahweh, I am the I am. Amen. He declares that. Then when Jesus came, in John 1.14, we learned something beautiful about Him. It says, And the Word, who is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So now, we know this concept of God is unlimited. He is only restricted by Himself. And Jesus, His Son, wasn't just like God. He didn't just reflect God. He was God. And so in Jesus, we see the power, the authority, the love, the everything of God Almighty. And as you study the life of Christ, you will discover that this is one of the main reasons why He dies. If you're really looking at the history of His life, there were three big things the Pharisees hated. One, He did not respect the Sabbath in their opinion. So they have these rules around the Sabbath. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. Jesus is like, the Sabbath's for God. I am God. Amen. Do you think God ever stops working? No. And if my Father doesn't stop working, I don't stop working. Amen. The second thing tied to that was His acknowledgement that the reason He didn't acknowledge the Sabbath was He's God. Amen. And so while many had come and said they were prophets and speakers on God's behalf, no one had declared that they were God Almighty and then backed it up with the authority of preaching and with the miraculous things that he could do. And then the third thing you'll see is they just hated that he associated himself with lowly people. Their whole religion was built on we are the best, we only hang out with the best, and if you're an ugly sinner, get away from me. And Jesus instead was like, hey sinners, let's talk. Let's go to dinner. Let's hang out. Let's be friends. And they're like, what are you doing? And so in this series, what I hope you will take away if you don't remember any of the other seven statements is our God is unlimited Amen. and Jesus is God. Amen. Now as we've gone through these statements, there's been seven of them. And so let's just kind of recap where we've been. Again, whenever we hear I am, that's Jesus saying, I'm God. And remember, he's not saying I'm like this. I don't give life. I don't provide peace. He says, I am life. It's a huge distinction. The first one was, I'm the bread of life. His point, come to me and I will make you live in a way you've never lived before. In fact, when you have had Christ, you look back at your time without him and go, that wasn't really life. It wasn't really life. It's kind of like parents, do you ever like, try to remember what it was like before kids? Do you remember like, eating hot meals? Do you remember that? Or do you remember, there's this thing single people talk to me about called silence. Not real sure what that is. It's this theory of things out there, but right, we don't even remember what it's like to be without him. He's life. The second one, he said, I am the light of the world. And this was Jesus declaring, I'm the Messiah. For 2,000 years, or thousands of years, you guys have been waiting 
for this Messiah figure that was called by God to come and right what was set wrong by sin. I'm Him. Then He said, I'm the door. His point? I'm salvation. You guys are stuck in this world of muck and ugliness and pain and hurt and there is only one way out. And that is through Him, the door. There is no other way. Only through Him can you escape the pain and the hurt and the violence and the brutality of this world that we live in. He is the only door out. Then He said, I'm the Good Shepherd. And His point there was saying, I'm the Lord. So besides being your Savior, I am the one who will be there with you day in and day out. Like a shepherd who walks with his flock, who defends them, cares for them, provides medical care for them, leads them to green pastures, protects them from the enemy, I will do all those things for you. But you must be my sheep, and when you hear my voice, you must come. I am your Lord. And then we talked about him saying, I am the resurrection. And this is when he brought Lazarus back to life. And there he was displaying how almighty he was. Well, he had done miraculous things in the past, bringing a man back from the dead who had been dead for four days was the pinnacle moment before his his own resurrection. All the other things people could try to talk away or explain, or, you know, he's just a doctor, or he resuscitated him, or, you know, whatever. But when he walks into a grave of a man who's been dead for four days and says, get up, and the man gets up, there was no ability for them to talk that off. Amen. That was him declaring, I am God. And I am in him, in all of his almightiness, in all of his awesomeness. And then last week we finished with the sixth one, which was Jesus saying, I am the vine. And in this, what we learned is he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. His point being, as Christians, as true disciples of Jesus, you and I do not go to Jesus when we're at the end of our rope. We do not go to Jesus when we've tried everything else and failed and then go, well, I've got no other options. Jesus, help me out. As true disciples, He is our source of power, our source of love, our source of peace, our source of everything. Amen. As He said, without me, you can do nothing. Amen. And so as Christians, we don't go to Him when everything else has failed. We go to Him from the very beginning. Amen. From the very beginning. And so what we just talked about there is, too often, you and I, we're coming here going, man, I hope Jesus can make me more patient. Man, I hope Jesus can make my marriage better. Man, I hope Jesus will make my kids listen to me better. Man, I hope Jesus will do fill in the blank. And I guarantee you've probably got two or three you're working on. The problem is for most of us, the way we try to do that is go, you know what? I'm just going to try harder to be more patient. Have you tried that before? Does it work? No. Jesus goes, you guys can't fix it yourselves. If you could fix it yourself, it would have never been a problem from the beginning. How you solve it is you go closer to the source. You get closer to Christ. And so as Christians, the solution to everything is to get closer to Him. When we're closer to Him, those things will change on their own. That has to be the focus. And then we're going to finish today with our last one. The way, the truth, and the life. Amen. 
This is probably one of the most comforting statements that Jesus makes of all the I am statements. And it's because of the context of when it appears and how it happens. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip with me to uh, John chapter 14. We're going to be in John chapter 14, not 15. Sorry about that. Let me give you a little context of where we're at in John 14. Because as we've seen throughout this series, Jesus is just a masterful storyteller. And so all these these verbal statements he makes, these beautiful descriptions, he often chooses these analogies because of where he's at and what's happening. So remember, right, he said, I'm the bread of life. Why? Because he just fed 15,000 people with bread. And they'd come back to him going, we're hungry, give us some more bread. And he goes, you don't want real bread. You need the bread of life. That's me. Remember the other one where he said, I'm the light of the world? He's in the temple. It's the feast where they're lighting all of these candles to illuminate the courtyard. And you can just kind of imagine, as the courtyard's coming to light, Jesus goes, I'm the light of the world. And so the context of these statements is huge because it starts to give you some more insight into why Christ is saying this. In John chapter 14, we are coming to the end. We are coming to those final moments that Jesus has with his disciples before he is tortured, arrested, crucified, and killed. And what I want you to do for a second is put yourself into the seat of the disciples. Because these statements he's going to make to them are of unbelievable compassion because of what they're going through. They know Jesus is the Messiah. But from Old Testament theology, what most Israelites thought the Messiah was going to be was they thought it was going to be a second David. Meaning like King David of the Old Testament. And so if you study King David in the Old Testament, what he was able to do was he was able to rise up the kingdom of Israel to a level of military might, financial wealth, and success that they had just never seen before. And so the Israelites had this picture of the Messiah as being a political and military figure. He would come in, blessed by God. He would wipe out all the foreign countries that were occupying Israel. He would rebuild the walls. He would establish the kingdom. And Israel would stand stronger than it had ever been before. Well, Jesus comes in and and one of these things he talks about throughout his ministry is, I'm going to die. And throughout the whole thing, like that's just been confusing to the people that were following. Like, you're the Messiah. I mean, yeah, eventually you'll die, but I mean, that's not your key job. Your key job is to build up the kingdom. Well, as we get to this final week, the disciples start to realize, like, this might actually happen. Right? He rides in triumphantly into Jerusalem, but in the time that's happened since then, the Pharisees' fervor to kill him has reached its maximum. Jesus has declared that one of the twelve will actually betray him. There's been some conversation that night that makes it look like it might even be Judas. And in fact, Judas is now left the group. And if, if he is the betrayer, he, he's going to do his work. Jesus is saying these are the final moments. And the disciples are starting to go like, wait a minute. It, is this really what's going to happen? We, we thought we were going to build a kingdom. We thought we were going to bring back Israel. We, we were following you, God, with this vision of where we're going to go. And now, there's betrayal in our group. 
You're, you're, you're saying you're going to be tortured and killed. You just told Peter, the best one of us, that he's going to betray you three times tonight. Amen. They're confused. They don't get how this is the plan. Not only do they not like any of the elements of the plan, they just don't even like the whole where the plan leads. How does Jesus dying fix anything? They can't see that. They don't understand it. And they're in this unbelievable strife and turmoil. Have you ever been in a moment like that? Have you been there where you're looking at the circumstances of your life just like, this does not make sense? I don't, I don't get this, God. I don't get how this works. I don't get the little pieces, and I don't seem to get the big picture either. You're going to have to help me out. Amen. Now, I want you to leave the disciples here and come over here with me to Jesus for a second, because there's just something you and I do so often when we read Scripture where we don't give Him credit. Like, let's just be real for a second. I think if we go over there, we can say, the disciples, can you understand their strife? Yeah, right? They've, they've forsaken everything. They left their families, their homes, their jobs. They've followed Christ day in and day out for three years for this vision, and now that vision's crumbling. And not only is the vision crumbling, there's strife internally. But step back for a second and think about Christ. We act like because He's Jesus that like, ah, oh, yeah, I knew all this was going to happen, no big deal. How do you think he feels at that moment? At that moment, as he has walked this earth, doing things no man has any right or ability to do, as he has healed the blind, fixed cripples, brought people back from the dead, performed miracles, preached God's word with authority, showed unbelievable love and wisdom, as he has done all of these things for all of these people, he knows they're about to cry for his death. Thousands will scream for him to be killed. And not just a normal death. Not just like, hey, let's just stab him and be done with it. No, a brutal arrest, torture, humiliation, and the most painful death of all. A death so painful, so brutal, you had to go through a very specific political process to even have someone be part of it. And not only is that about to happen in the general public... But his own guys don't get the vision. They're still struggling to understand if he's God. And one of them is actually going to be the instrument of destruction that will set all of this off. Not only that, he knows as he's about to take all of the sin of the world, of all mankind, of all time, upon his shoulders, he knows for the first time in his life, he will experience distance from his Father. Amen. Something he has never experienced ever Amen. before. And he knows that while he's on that cross, saving us, we will mock him. And we will tease him. Now, I want you to just ask for a second. If you're him, in that moment, how much energy are you giving to the disciples' worries? Like, wouldn't there just be part of you that would be like, get over yourselves. Where's your perspective? Oh, great, yeah, that's so sad what you guys are about to go through. But what I love about Christ is that's just not Him. Amen. 
in a moment where I think each and every one of us would absolutely be fine with him being self-centered and would get it. He steps out and goes, my guys are in trouble. My guys are stressed. They don't get what's going on. They're scared. They're worried. I need to give them peace. I need to give them peace. It's like, you know, I remember Sister Pat, right? You go to see her and she's going through cancer's treatment to give her hope. And she actually makes you feel better than you made her feel. Amen. It's that kind of spirit. So look at what Jesus says. John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You see what he says? He says, guys, be at peace. I know you believe in God or you wouldn't be here with me right now. You are men of faith. You displayed that. You did forsake everything. You did follow me. You have trusted that I am the Messiah. You have trusted that God has a plan in this. Well, put that trust in me. Amen. Because I am the Father. Just like you believe He has a plan, I have a plan. Trust in it. I know you don't get it. I know you don't understand it, but guess what? You don't need to. You don't need to. You just need to trust me. And to be honest, brothers and sisters, this is one of the things I love about Christ. When I was younger and less mature, I wanted God to show me everything. I want to know the plan. Give me every milestone, all the landmarks, all the steps, all the things that are incurring. You know what? As I get older, I love that He does it. Amen. I love that He does it. There's more joy in it. It's like these beautiful surprises He has waiting for me in life. And often what's funny is, when you know about things, you don't actually judge them really well. Like, have you ever had that thing that you knew was just going to be a huge deal? It was going to be a game changer. It was going to ruin everything and you worried about it and you stressed about it and you prayed about it and you cried about it and you just, you were so convinced the world was over and then you get to it and you're like, oh, that actually wasn't that bad. And what you realize was, the worst part was what you did waiting to get there. And then the real reality is often the very worst things you never even saw coming. You, you never even knew they were on the horizon. Jesus' message as our shepherd, as our way, is understand, I've got this. I've got this. It kind of reminds me as a little kid getting in the car with my dad. My dad didn't tell me everywhere we were going. He didn't give me the map. He didn't tell me how long we were going to be out that day. But I didn't care. Because I knew if dad was driving, everything was going to be okay. 
I knew that dad loved me. I knew dad was smart. I knew dad was capable. And I knew if dad was there, it didn't matter. That's the kind of faith Jesus is asking for you to have in him. He's like, guys, you've seen what I can do. I can literally bring people back from the dead. I can make food out of nothing. I know all of God's word and I make new word. Trust me. I've got this. I know you don't get it. I know you're worried. I know you're scared. But I'm here. And I'm telling you, all of this is part of my plan. Trust me. Trust me. It's what he's telling them. I love Thomas, though, because Thomas reflects how it just is in life, right? Yeah, Pastor Luke, great for you to talk about faith. But if you knew the scenario I was in right now, you'd want a little bit more details. Thomas is like, just... We don't know the way, Jesus. We don't know the way. And Jesus goes, yes, you do. I am. All you need to know is me. Amen. That's it. All you need to know is me. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and is it enough for us? Jesus said to him, have I been with you for so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Amen. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Amen. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So there's a couple things here, and I'm going to break them out for you. One, that's all you need to know about heaven. So you can go to Revelation and you'll get some more details about heaven and some things that happen there. But to be honest, there's lots of people over lots of time who have tried to describe what heaven's like. And here's the the truth. We don't know a lot. We know a little. We don't know everything though. But here's what I do know. I know that Jesus Christ and God Almighty, the ones who handcrafted me in my mother's womb, who know every single thought that's gone through my head, who know everything that makes me happy, everything that brings me joy, that they are going and preparing a place for me. Amen. And that place that's specifically defined, designed for me will be not next to my father's house, but in my father's house. So what I know about heaven is, it will be with the person I love with most in a place specifically designed by Him for me. I think I'm okay with that. I mean, if the Creator of the universe wants to make a special place just for you, I'm pretty sure it's going to turn out well. And so Christ gives us that peace of knowing, look, you don't know every detail, but I've got it. I've got it. Then the second thing he gives to us in this is, guys, this dark day is just the start of something new. You guys think my death is the end. It's not. It's the beginning. It's the beginning. And in fact, I need every one of you to open your ears on that because we as American Christians mess this up all the time. And I'll I'll put the blame on us pastors. 
In America, we've gotten so consumed with big churches. Amen. We've gotten so consumed with having lots of people. And I get it in this, right? God said, go make disciples of all nations. So I don't think God's going to be upset if I bring thousands with me. I think He wants as many people as possible to be there with Him. But what we've kind of done is, we've kind of made it like the moment you get saved and you get dunked in the tank, like, that's it, that's, you're done. Amen. Now just kind of keep coming to church and, you know, 60 or 70 years from now, Jesus will call you home and then we'll do some more work. Preach it. And we act like that's it. We act like that's the end. No, that's the beginning. Amen. Before Christ, you only know a life of sin. You only know a life of death. You only know what it's like to be guided by your flesh, which is broken and weak, and only leads you to one place, and that's death. Amen. The moment Christ is in your life, you truly experience life. Amen. You go from being someone who is living to being someone who's alive. Amen. And everything changes. I wish I could... It's just one of those things, like, if you haven't experienced it, I can't describe it for you. I remember my parents telling me before I had a kid, like, you just don't get it, man. Like, you can think you know what it's like to love. You can think you know what that's like. But until you hold that child in your hands, you will not understand. And to be honest, before I had a kid, I was like, okay, whatever. I'm like, I'm a pastor. I'm pretty good at this stuff, right? And then that baby came in. I'm like, oh my gosh. Reminded me of the Grinch, right? Have you ever seen the Grinch? You know, at the end where his heart grows two sizes? Am I dating myself there? Does anybody watch the Grinch anymore? It's like that baby gets in your hand. You're like, boom, 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 right? I mean, it's just, it's different. Everything's different. And that's what Christ declares to us. The moment you have Him in your life, the moment you abide in Him, everything changes. And it's not the end. It's the start. It's the start of a whole new life where you now actually no longer have the spirit of timidity and fear. But you have a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. You now find where you used to fail in your own ability, God now comes in and gives you the ability to do things you couldn't do in the past. You find those things that used to undercut you and pull you down into the dirt, you now can actually tell those things, no, go away. Amen. And they will. Amen. I'm not saying it's easy, but you are capable of things you could not even dream of doing before. And that's what Jesus tells them here. Guys, one, if you're worried about death, stop worrying about death. Amen. Do you know what death gets you? It gets you a mansion in heaven built by me for you. If that's your worst case scenario, that's not that bad. Second, your work's not done here. When I go, I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you a counselor. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And guess what? You guys are actually going to do greater work than I did after I leave. You're actually going to do more than I did here. So don't act like this is the end, guys. It's the start. It's the start. And that's the promise He makes here. And so, brothers and sisters, what I love about this story is is two things. One, there's this moral application, this personal application, right? As Christians, we have no need 
be fearful. The very worst thing that this world can do to us is take my life, which just puts me in paradise with Amen. the person I love more than anybody. That doesn't really sound like a punishment. That's the worst thing the world can do to you. And the even greater news is right now, as long as there is breath in my lungs, I have a mission from God to go out and to be all the things that He has talked about. I now get to be the bread of life. I now get to be the light of the world. I now get to be the way, the truth, the life. Not because of who I am, but because of Him in me. Because me, as a branch connected to that vine, have all that power, love, and self-discipline He had flowing through me. And now where I go, people don't just see me, they see the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, He has brought us into something awesome. He has brought us into something amazing. How can we look at the tiny little things of this world that want to say that life is bad and go, yep, I should be miserable? Really? You have a God who has forgiven you of all your sins and washed you clean. You have a God who not only has made you clean, but has brought you into His family and now treats you like royalty. You have a God that not only did that, but now in your life fuels you and feeds you with power and love and abilities you could never dream of before. And now you, who used to be lost, get to go and be a guide to bring others who are lost to Him. Amen. Please tell me what negative thing you can put on that list that wipes that out. There's nothing. And so besides that truth, I I just keep getting pulled back to why do I love Jesus? Amen. I love him because of this. I love that a man who's about to be betrayed. Preach it, brother who is going to go through his darkest moment, who is in misery and pain, who they will tell us in a few moments, will go and pray, and he prays, and he's so stressed, his sweat is blood. It's actually a medical condition that happens when stress levels get so high. That's where he's at. In the midst of that, he still looks at his brothers around him and goes, oh, you guys are struggling. Let me talk to you. That's why I follow him. That's why I will forsake all else to be at His feet. That's why I love Him more than my wife, more than my children, more than my parents. Because as much as I love them and think they're awesome, they're not that. He is the most amazing being ever. And it is my greatest honor that I get to walk in His presence. Amen. I am proud to be His servant because I know I don't even deserve that. And so brothers and sisters, as we close out this series and as we think about these statements, I hope that's the biggest thing you take away. Your Jesus is awesome. And of all the things that He can do in the universe, the thing that He wants the most is to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you where when He speaks, you go, I know that voice. Amen. He wants to have a relationship with you where when He sees you, He goes, it's good to see you, my friend. 
He wants to be in your presence. And so as we go to a time of prayer, I'm going to ask each and every one of you to get real with where you're at with God. For some of you, you don't know Him. You just don't, you don't even know Him. And so for those of you, I encourage you, have your first conversation with God. I challenge you. If you don't think He's real, talk to Him. Amen. What can it hurt? What can it hurt? What, you say a prayer in your head no one else ha- listens to? And if He's not real, He doesn't answer, and you, you can walk away. But I encourage you, if you speak to Him, He will speak back. Amen. For others of you, you're more in Thomas's place. You've given up things to be with Christ. You love Him. You trust Him. You walk with Him. But yet you're still not fully grasping it. You're still not fully getting who He is. And so you've given up a lot and you're on that path, but He's just looking at you sometimes like, do you get it really? I'm God. Do you understand that? There's still some of us, right? We, we, we have them in our life, but maybe we keep them at arm's distance. Or we've only let them into a few aspects of our lives, but we're, we're still holding on to a few things of our own. But we're like Thomas. We're close. We're close, but we're not abiding. Not yet. And then for some of you, you are abiding with Him. And what you pray in that moment is, is God, you show me everything in this life that distracts me from you and I will get rid of it. Amen. And you show me those things that make me focus on you and I will invest my time in those. Amen. And so let's just take a few moments and let's go to our Father. And let's pray to Him about where we're at. starts to sing. Me and Brother Joe will be up at the front. Brother James will be in the back. If you have something you need to pray about or want someone praying for you, feel free to come up. Uh, If you want to pray up at the altar, you can. Um, Or if you just want to stay and pray where you're at, you can always reach out to us after service and we'll be glad to pray and talk with you as well. Jesus. 
days gone All my sins are forgiven And I've been washed by the blood Listen to these words I'm no stranger to the prison I've worn shackles and chains But I've been freed and forgiven Yes, Lord, and I'm not going back I'll never be the same That's why I sing, oh, my hope is in Jesus. Thank God my yesterday is gone. And all my sins are forgiven. by the blood There's a kind of thing that just breaks a man Break him down to his knees God, I've been broken down more than a time or two Yes, Lord Then he picked me up and showed me what it means to be a man. That's why I sing, oh, my hope is in Jesus. Let's it up to the Lord. Thank God my yesterday's gone. And all my sins are forgiven. by the blood Come on and sing Oh, my hope is in Jesus There my yesterdays gone All my sins are forgiven Oh, I Thank you, Jesus. A couple things. So first, uh, let me let me give you a couple announcements, and then we're going to close in prayer. Uh, one, if you in uh, Sunday school have volunteered to either help out in children's church or do Sunday school uh, children's service, uh, please come see me after service. We have background check forms we need you guys to fill out. Um, so so if you, if you have that, great. Uh, second, it's Celebration Sunday, so we have cake and some snacks and some food back here. Uh, Russell and Maria, who are members of our church, 
got married yesterday, and so they uh, left some of their food for us today so we can snack on it and, and have a good time just celebrating. Uh, we have their wedding to celebrate, and we have the baptisms today to celebrate, and just everything God has done in our lives. So we'll celebrate those things. And then uh, what... Sister Pat is going to ask is that you guys will will just take a moment and pray with us. Uh, her husband Billy is is in a tough place, uh, both spiritually and physically, and we really want God to work in his life. We really want God uh, to speak to him Amen. and to break through those walls that he has put up, and uh, he will encounter Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, so I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then if you just pray where you're at, we're going to lift him up. Dear Holy Father. We come to you, Lord, and we know that you have you, you have a path for each of us, Lord. You see it from a perspective that we don't. And so often, Father, where we are lost and we are confused, and where we can't see anything but what's right in front of us, you, Father, know that there is goodness waiting, that you, Father, are leading us somewhere. Amen. Father, we lift up Brother Billy, and we just pray that, Father, you'll break through those walls around his heart. Father, He's built things over the years and over the decades that don't justify His distance from You. Yes. But we, Father, know that all those walls are, are just weakness in front of you. Thank you. And so we pray, Lord, that You will use our sister Pat here and You will use the circumstances of this world to bust through those walls, to encounter Him, and to show Him where He really stands. A child who needs a Savior, a sheep that needs a shepherd to lead it. Father, we also pray for Sister Pat that you'll just fill her with strength, Lord. I know, Lord, there is not much greater sadness in a believer's heart than to have someone you love so much that doesn't love you. And so we pray, Father, for each and every person in this room who knows that pain, the pain of being with someone and caring for someone who doesn't know you yet as Lord and Savior. We ask, Father, that you use those people as instruments of your power and your wisdom so that they will one day know you as those things, as Lord and as Savior. Father, we trust you, for we know you are the way, the truth, and the life, and you can make anything happen. Father, in your Son's name we pray. Amen. As always, it's an honor to worship with you. Uh, remember, you have a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, and you have a mission. It's to go make disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. I hope you guys have a great day. Let's week. join hands. Hold on. Don't go nowhere yet. We're going to sing the chorus of the family of God because we are a family of God. So if you'll just join across the, hand, across the aisle, join a hand. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. God bless you all. Strengthen my broken parts Lead me to your own